change. This train not taking passengers. Hi everyone. Um. <laughs> every time. Um. What am I doing? Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, thought I would give a little update. Uh, it's been a while since I did uh, an app of my own. Uh, I'm just trying to think. What was the last time? Let me have a look here. I think it was start of last month. Thirteenth of the second. Oh well. Um. Yeah, I actually had done a slew of episodes all through Feb and March, and I've just been really, really busy with my own sort of shit. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I had some... I've got a whole bunch of guests sort of lined up, but it's just been too hard to get into the studio, to be honest, and the last two times I've been there has been for other clients, so that's actually good. I can, you know, potentially make some money to pay for the studio. Um, John's in Adelaide right now. He's been sending me and Andy, you know, his latest and greatest of booze and food. It's just basically been a wine and snags. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think yeah, we'll get an episode done. I'll try and get them in when he's back, maybe. <laughs> you know, hopefully we hear this and, yeah, and how I really feel. Um, yeah, uh, it's been interesting last couple episodes, especially the one with, uh, uh, Odysseus, um, got a lot of feedback on that. Just people really surprised really with the whole system thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's been weird uh, just because looking back, you know, at the last so four or five months, there really has been a really a big eclectic group of episodes that we've actually done. Um, I, I like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's cool seeing the product actually come together. I was talking, I had a quick coffee with um, Terry from Blue Broad this morning and um, we were talking about seeing our sort of babies, you know, come to fruition and become something from nothing basically. And um, yeah, for everyone, anyone that does know, doesn't know who that is, it's uh, Blue Broad is a channel on YouTube uh, that revolves around the Carlton Football Club. I've had Terry on before. We did an episode last year uh, towards the end of the season and I had him in at the start of this year for an episode just giving a pre a preview on the upcoming season. But um, it's one of two lost episodes. Spewing, it's probably my own fault. I've done what I could to try and save the app, but um, look, in hindsight, you know, I've done 140-odd episodes or whatever it is plus solo recordings over you know from 2016 to 2007 years and i think we've lost two episodes so i don't think it's too bad considering no one's paying for it <laughs> um but yeah it was cool having a chat to him and um, i'm gonna try and get him in just to do a solo at uh, solo trying to get gonna try and get him in to do uh, to have a chat just based on him and everything that he's achieved um a lot of people have been asking me like where I've found half the people that have come on and my, everyone, almost everyone has just been people that I know or know of that I've reached out to. Um, sometimes I get told, asked, sometimes I get people put in front of me by, you know, friends or people that listen to the podcast that think they have someone who might be you know, good to have a chat with. 
And I've said this before, anyone who wants to come and have a chat about something, you know, by all means, come down. Or, you know, if you think of someone that you want me to hit up, bring them on. A um, few things I actually wanted to talk about. I think I did, it's been, I've wanted to sort of sit down and do this uh, for a couple of weeks now, but um, it's just been too chaotic around here and I'm actually forcing myself to do this now if they've got to get back to work. Um, a lot has actually happened the last couple of weeks, uh, just in public sort of sphere. We had Shane Warne pass away, which was Jesus. Like, talk about, you know, rug pulled out from underneath you, you know. And then um, within, you know, a couple of days, that week or whatever, we had Scott Hall, uh, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, the uh, wrestler, former wrestler, however you want to look at it. He passed away. And they were both really significant. Um, we'll start with Warney. I don't think anyone, no one saw it coming, you know, I mean, he'd had health issues in the past, but, you know, Warner was this, like, big, larger-than-life sort of character, and, you know, you always just assumed someone like that would sort of live forever, you know, just seemed invincible. Um, it really bothered me more than I thought it would, probably because he's, um, it was like when Michael Jackson passed away, you know, I relate, like, I grew up, you know, idolizing Michael Jackson, so... It sort of hit home and brought back a flood of memories from childhood. Warney, you know, I didn't really, pl- I didn't play cricket. You know, I didn't follow the cricket or anything like that. But Warney was always this guy who was just unashamed, unashamedly like himself. And he was this local dude. Like he grew up, you know, he'd moved, he spent most of his childhood in the Bay Bayside areas of Melbourne, like Bowie and all those areas. And, you know, when we were in high school, he was just God. You know, he was like a f- the first Australian, like, you know, paparazzi-worthy celebrity. Like, he was dating models. His private life was really turbulent. You know, his playing career was turbulent. He got suspended for a period because he'd taken that diuretic that he blamed his mum on. <laughs> um, you know, his whole thing with the booze and, and the darts and all that sort of stuff and... The, I think there was a bookmaking scandal in there as well, you know, that he got reprimanded for. Yeah, you know, guy just set, then he set the cricket world on fire, like despite all these sort of things. He just kept going and literally was the greatest, like, spin bowler of all time, sort of thing, you know, like, easily worthy of that mantle. And he's anyone that's got, like, you read about it now, like, it's all coming out, you know. You would just read about it how he always had time for just the everyday person. Like he never sort of let his fame or his success sort of, or his talent, you know, um, block access to him. You know, like he was always approachable, was really just an everyman. And he just, unash- like he was just, just an Aussie, you know. He wore it all there and he, he sort of, you know, didn't make excuses for anything and just kept reinventing himself and kept persevering and just finding new ways to become acclaimed, really. Um, they put a mural up just around the corner from my house on uh, on a building over a couple of days. Just a, a, just a picture of him, you know, from his early sort of playing days. And it really sort of struck, like, when I saw it going up. I'm like, far Like, Warney's actually gone. Like, you'd never think, you know, someone like Warney would just go like that, you know, unassumingly in, in you know, in his sleep sort of thing. Um, so yeah, that was massive. Scott Hall, um, 
Scott Hall was huge as well. Uh, for anyone that doesn't watch the wrestling, Scott Hall was basically um, he was he started his career you know in the lower sort of rungs of uh, floating around the states you know in different sort of league um, different brands and of wrestling and, and stables and things. And then when he went to WWF in the early nineties, he pitched a story. Uh, he pitched a character to Vince McMahon as Razor Ramon, and he was basically a composite of Tony Montana and um, Manny, you know, Tony's best mate in the movie Scarface. I, as a kid, that was lost on me, you know, because I didn't see Scarface until I was in high school. But as a kid, it was this big, like, macho guy that just it was it did whatever he wanted, and he, he was the bad guy, and that was his whole line, you know. Um, he was literally my first idol. I mean, not my first, but I was saying it to, I've said it to a few people over the last week or two, you know, when I was a kid, I idolized three people, Bruce Lee, who, you know, my parents, uh, introduced me like to his movies and his work when I was five years old, when I started my first karate lesson, you know, um, I had my old man's old, you know, original enter the dragon poster on my bedroom wall, you know, from the seventies. Um, so Bruce Lee was like an, an idol. Scotty Pippen from the Chicago Bulls. And I idolized Scotty Pippen for his gameplay. You know, he's, he's just everything, his abilities, the fact that he was overshadowed by Jordan, but still one of the greatest NBA players to play NBA. Um, and Razor Ramon. Yeah, the wrestler. And it didn't strike strike me like it didn't hit until after he died and I started thinking about it. It really, really triggered like a whole bunch of shit. I didn't actually realize like it started I started watching some of his old matches and things like that. And I'm like, Jesus, like I actually this he was like my favorite wrestler growing up. And he was like a larger than life character because you know, when you're a kid and you're looking at these WWF people on TV, you're thinking, Who are these heroes? you know? How can these men actually exist that just do these super incredible athletic sort of things and la la la. And I liked, I liked Razor Ramon for the fact that he was the bad guy and he was just, you know, seemingly invincible. As me, as I was a kid, I was quiet. I was reserved. I kept my mouth shut, you know? Um, so it was cool to see like this dude just push people around and do whatever the hell he wanted. You know, it was, I, <laughs> I don't know. It just, yeah, it still sort of gets me when I think about it now. And I was just, I was talking about it with a few friends. I've actually got a tat of Bruce Lee. I've got a tat of Scotty Pippen, but I think uh, the Razor tat is going to have to come out soon too. The other thing with Scott Hall, <clears throat> when he left um, WWF and he crossed over to WCW with Kevin Nash, um, they basically, they entered the WCW sort of brand, teamed up with Eric Bischoff and... Hulk Hogan, who was, you know, had left WWF after, you know, 20 odd years or whatever it was. And they basically re-energized, reinvigorated professional wrestling uh, by starting the NWO, the New World Order, like their faction, the bad boys of wrestling, basically, the outcasts. They were, Kevin Nash and Scott all started as the outsiders, as a group. And then they created the NWO. I actually have an NWO tat as well. And I have a Hollywood Hogan tat <laughs> as well. And um, if it wasn't for that, that created a push in wrestling to get modernized, to get edgy. You know, they started pushing really edgy storylines, violence, sex, like, you know, all that sort of stuff, TNA, like things like that. 
And because of that, it created the push from WWF to, to upgrade and rebrand as well. And that created the most exciting period in professional wrestling. I don't follow professional wrestling anymore. But for that period, from when I was a kid to, you know, just when that sort of stuff happened, I was all over it. Like most, you know, teenagers, you know, between 13 and 17, you know, across the world. And it's incredible, like, to think of just how important that that tiny time period, you know, how how much influence it had over the, what wrestling is today. It wouldn't be the massive multi-billion dollar industry that it is if it wasn't for that push by Scott Hall, by Kevin Nash, Eric Bischoff, and Hollywood Hogan, you know, who became, but, you know, his whole life had been a baby face, like a, a, a good guy. And when he joined the WCW, entered the NWO, he became a, a heel for the first time. And I, like I said, just created this whole edgy branding of, um, of professional wrestling that is still seen today. And they really, there's so much, so many, like I said, more things are coming out of the woodwork in regards to Scott Hall and his influence around the ring and influence, you know, with you know, his peers and colleagues. You know, Sting, the, the famous wrestler Sting, not the singer. <laughs> I'm just picturing Sting and the police coming down to the ring getting freaking powerbombed through tables. <laughs> Um, he was going through like a career slump as well. Like, you know, he'd been doing the same sort of uh, surfer boy gimmick thing with the makeup. And it was Scott Hall that actually told him he should paint up, change up and become this dark brooding character. And he's the one that suggested the crow corpse paint sort of uh, face paint scheme theme. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's really, it was really hard sort of watching old clips and things like that. And, um, yeah, it felt like parts of my childhood basically just disappeared. <sighs> Nevertheless, um, I'm not going to drain this too much today. Um, I really, I had a whole bunch of shit to say, but I actually don't remember. Um, I think <laughs> I can't. I, I'm, I was going to leave it there, but I won't. Um, <laughs> the one thing I am going to mention is um, <laughs> the biggest moment to ever happen at the Oscar Awards. <laughs> Um, Will Smith slapping the shit out of Chris Rock. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what to say about Will Smith? Okay. <laughs> All right. Unless you were like, you know, living under a rock or something or just didn't get to watch TV today or turn on the news or get on social media or do anything really. Okay, so the Oscars were held and Chris Rock was uh, hosting him. I'm assuming he was hosting him. I don't think he was just, I don't know if he was presenting an award or he was hosting. I think he was hosting. I don't know. Um, he was doing his little thing and he basically had a crack at, um, <laughs> he saw, yeah, he's got Will Smith and Jada Pinkett, Pinkett Smith in the uh, in the crowd, and he said a couple of lines about Will Smith, and he's like, you know, laughed, and then he said to Jada, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, he said something like, "I love you," but you know, with the hair, the haircut, GI Jane two, can't wait to see it. Now the room started laughing. Okay, now for those that don't know, Jada Pinkett Smith has a shaved head. And um, she worn it like that for for many years. And G.I. Jane was that movie with Demi Moore where she plays a, a recruit and yada, yada. So that on, on the surface, that's what that crack is, okay? <laughs> 
Now, the thing underneath, the underlying thing, issue with it is that, is that Jada Pickett Smith has alopecia. Now, alopecia is a disease where it, you know, it causes hair loss. So she's publicly struggled with this disease and she shaves her head short basically to avoid having sort of patchy hair and all that sort of stuff. Now, you can see why, you know, it's a, it's a sketchy sort of area and you can appreciate why Jada may not have been too impressed with the comment and she wasn't. Like he made the joke, the room laughed and she just sort of smirked and, you know, didn't really make much of a face. Now, here's the problem. Will Smith got up from his seat, stormed the stage, walked up to Chris Rock, slapped him. This is all on, like, you know, live TV at the Oscars. Slapped him and then sat down back at his seat. And Chris Rock was sort of like, wow, like I just got the shit slapped out of me by, by Will Smith. And he sort of just kept going. Like, as in, he, he just picked up the ball, made a few comments, and then just sort of kept going and they moved on with the show. Will Smith, however, decided to go again once he sat down. He started. He yelled out twice, "Keep my wife's fucking name out of your mouth, or whatever." You know, my wife's name out of your fucking mouth. And it's like, okay, cool. Now, <laughs> I don't know. I posted. I posted the first of the memes up on on my socials, and I've got to say, like, the memes have been incredible. <laughs> <laughs> the memes have been outright incredible. Um, so that's been fun. It really pushed the creativity. I think we sort of stagnated after COVID sort of lockdowns ended. Everyone sort of went back to, you know, watching maths and uh, going going back to work. So the, the creativity stagnated. <laughs> um, but I feel this really sort of pushed it again. Now, this is the problem. You could be in the camp of, you know, uh, Jada Pickett Smith's disease should not be made fun of and Will Smith was protecting his wife and blah, 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 blah. Fair enough. Okay, I don't disagree with that. I don't think you should make fun of anyone's disease. But here's the problem. Number one, okay, Will Smith laughed at the joke. Will Smith actually laughed. And the only reason he reacted was because he saw her face and had a couple of seconds to to think about it and be like, oh, well, she's pissed. So, and oh, hang on, they're making fun of my wife. So he took it personally and, and got up and, you know, pretty much just attacked him, attacked Chris Rock and then sat down. Now, that, that's insane. Okay. At no point should you be slapping the shit out of someone. That, that's assault. Like, point blank, that's assault, man. It's live, like, internationally broadcasted TV. And you literally took a joke. It's a look. It's a it's a low hanging fruit joke. It's a it's a, it's a shit joke. It's not, it's not considering it's Chris Rock, okay, who's one of you know the world's most prestigious, you know, critically acclaimed comedians for the last two decades. And whether you yeah you know, whether you want to have a crack about it now, oh shit, it's not even funny. Blah blah. It's like hang on, man. The guy was selling out theaters for a reason. Okay, this was before comedy became all. PC and you know blah blah blah. Okay, he's he's Chris Rock. He's been asked to host the, the Oscars or whatever. He's done the gigs before. Like he's not some random who has no weight or no class or clue. Like he's he does have a sense about comedy. That's a low hanging fruit joke. 
Fair enough. Maybe he came up with it off the cuff. I've got no idea. But either which way, it was a joke. Now, as I said, Will Smith laughed initially. The problem is, is whether it was a crap joke made in poor taste or whatever, at no point does it give Will Smith the right to charge a stage and slap the man. If you want to have a, if you want to beat him down and confront him after the fact, fair enough. You know, corner him, say, listen, mate, what the fuck? That was uncalled for, blah, blah, blah. But to think he was sort of uh, turning, <laughs> it made me laugh because all of a sudden it's like something triggered. He saw Chris Rock, who's just like an average looking dude out on stage and thinking he's like, you know, Big Willie style. And he's going to, he's going <laughs> to, yeah, the big dick energy is going to, is suddenly rising. And he's going to make a point and he's had enough and la, la, la. At no point should he have made it to the stage. Security should have been all over him the second he hit Chris Rock, the second before he hit him. And then when he went back to his seat, he should have been approached by security, tapped on the shoulder and asked to leave and be dealt with. The, 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 the thing about it is that he fucking won an Oscar like 10 minutes later. So he didn't have... He couldn't just take a joke on the chin and deal with it. He had to literally lose control of all emotion and act out in aggression. But then he's up there talking about how he's standing up for his family and he's standing... He didn't apologize to, to Chris Rock until today. Like, you know, 24 hours later, he woke up. His publicist would have knocked some sense into him and said, listen, dickhead, like, you better apologize because what you did was wrong on a legal standpoint. If Chris Rock wanted to, he could have called the cops and they could have had him arrested for assault. Literally, there would have been an investigation. Um, but yeah, he's winning a fucking Oscar like two minutes later. And he's crying. Like, give me a spell, man. It was a joke. It was a low-hanging fruit joke, but it was a joke. And I've sort of had this conversation with a few people on the net and one, one interfriend, internet friend, I've actually went into a bit of a sort of deeper combo. And one of the points was made that, you know, women's disease shouldn't be made fun of. You know, she's bored, blah, blah, blah. She's lived, she's made it well known and this, this and that. And, you know, she's brave and all this and she deals with this and that. I was like, okay. I didn't know she had alopecia. <laughs> I didn't know. I, I'm not, you know, I don't have my finger on the pulse of the pop culture community, but I do know some things. I had no idea she had it. If I made the joke, would I have been in my right to make the joke at all? Anyway, that's one thing. Then the other thing was, you know, you shouldn't make fun of someone's disease, you shouldn't make fun of women, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, hang on. Ball jokes for men have been made since the beginning of, of stand-up comedy. Since, since humor was like literally a concept, bald men have been the butt and ridicule of many a joke. And bald men still have this stigma in society. Like they're less than. And this instant... Inst- Internet friend said, you know, no, that's ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. And she brought up a couple, you know, um, examples of, of, you know, somebody within her social group and what, who they find attractive and all this shit. And then she she made mention that, you know, society doesn't view like baldness as that anymore. You know, look at Dwayne The Rock Johnson and then look at the um, the guy who voices Groot off, um, I think it's... Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Groot, yeah. And um, I was trying to struggle. I was struggling to think of who voices him. Like, I just kept thinking, and I'm like, oh, Vin Diesel. 
And I'm like, wait a second. The two examples of bald men that are striving in society are The Rock and Vin Diesel, literally two of the most bankable movie stars in Hollywood. <laughs> what about like Larry Fine or George Costanza or, you know, Larry David? <laughs> like, I'm looking at like, come on, man. Yes, Jason Statham, Bruce Willis, you know, two dudes that have embraced baldness. But at the same time, like, let's not pretend like that stigma is just altogether gone from society. Like, men still deal with shit (laughs) just because women think it's done. And then, you know, the whole, you know, you can't make fun of women. It's like, well, like... Like Bill Burr said, like are women just levitating above men, like socially, where they're untouchable? Everyone's going to be the butt of a joke somewhere. People have made fun of people's physical appearance, disabilities, weight, race, religion. That is the point point of comedy. It's the context of the of the the joke. And you know, for in, for all intents and purposes, you know, Chris Rock may not have fucking known that. You know, Jada Pickett Smith had alopecia. Like, he may not have known. To him, it was just some chick with a skinhead. Like, big fuck. I think it's gone all gone about the wrong way. I also brought up the other thing. I brought up was um, <laughs> it was actually my first comment. Um, <laughs> I said to I said so. I guess you um when she brought up you know the whole you shouldn't make fun of someone's uh, disease or whatever it was. And my first thing was, so I guess um, we're lucky, like, you know, you didn't see Jeff, you didn't catch Jeff Ross making fun of Courtney Love about Kurt Cobain. So I played it, I, I posted this clip. Hang on. Where is it? The only it's the worst. It is so harsh. And for anyone that doesn't know, Jeff Ross is like a, a king of roasting. You know, if anyone doesn't know what roasting is, um, it's a thing, you know, like Charlie Sheen's been roasted. Everyone's been roasted from the 60s and 70s, seriously. You know, um, you get a celebrity, you get all their friends, and you just make bad jokes about them and run them into the ground, and in the end, you know, just praise them and just praise thanks to them and stuff like that. It's really, it's really nice. It's pretty much what me... Me, John, and Andy do every week. <laughs> we just roast each other until someone breaks. How is it possible that Courtney Love looks worse than Kurt Cobain? What? You want to fucking pick on me? You're gonna get help from Pamela Manderson. Okay, so <clears throat> context: the roasts of Pamela Anderson and Courtney Love was a guest. She was sitting next to, to Pam on the, on the couch. Now <laughs> he goes at her with a joke about Kurt Cobain, you know, husband who had passed away like yeah, 94, 95, whatever it was. And um, that's a hard, That's probably one of the hardest jokes I've heard ever on a roast. Ever. Like, the, Jeff Ross pulls no punches. The room laughed, all right, and there was also the, you know, gasp, shock, and horror. Now, Courtney Love looked shocked, and she stood up at that point, right? And then Jeff Ross quickly deflates it and makes a crack about, you know, a woman sitting next to, um, I think it was Tommy Lee. It's just like... 
it's the ability to take a joke. Now, Will Smith has been in comedy, he's in acting. He should know to just take it on the chin and then bring it up again. The irony of it, the funniest thing is, and this is what I brought, I tweeted. I said, it's, it's nice that, you know, it's interesting that Chris Rock makes a joke about, you know, his wife's bald head. Not the disease, but the bald head. And he gets up there and punches him. But his wife on, you know, primetime TV confesses to, you know, banging August, uh, what's his name? The uh, singer, rapper, <laughs> over like a year period. And this guy is someone that <laughs> Smith brought into the family, went on holidays with him. And she had like the entanglement with him. <laughs> and he did nothing but like cry and say, I understand and I love you. That doesn't make him lose his shit. Fine. Having your wife tell, tell you that she's been banging another guy in your own house. You know what I mean? That's fine. <laughs> but, you know, a joke gone too far. The other thing that came up with all the sort of shit was that someone, one theory I, that got pushed was that this all brought up all this repressed anger and hurt and trauma and PTSD by Will Smith because of the domestic violence he saw in his house and that triggered him to protect his family and all that sort of shit. It's like, look, man, I've seen all types of trauma in my house, in other households. I've got friends that have been victims of domestic violence. I've seen it. I'm not going to get triggered by a joke, you know? We, we joke about all types of shit. We joke about, you know, I've copped shit my entire life and I've taken most of it pretty well. I've never actually physically gone up to punch someone because of a joke gone too far. I might have told someone to hone it, rein it in, but yeah, I think it's a bit ridiculous. People are going reaching too far to protect Will Smith, like he's some sort of Hollywood icon. Like, give me a break, man. He's not a deity. He's an actor. He's another guy who should know not to slap someone just because. If it was a woman that made that same crack <laughs> and he walked up and slapped someone, it'd be over. Absolutely over. I think my my biggest problem with it is the fact that, yeah, he assaulted someone and just sat back down in his seat. Security didn't come. No one in the room rushed him. His publicist was, you know, sitting there in their ears after, like consoling him. Like, <laughs> It was a fucking assault in a time where they're like, you know, words are important and, you know, we should, um, you know, walk back everything and, and find a way to, to deal with shit without violence. We're just going to let, like, Will Smith is going to be let to slap someone for making an awkward joke. Like, really? Uh, I don't know, man. I haven't been a fan of Will Smith for a long, long time. He just plays the same snarky character in nearly every movie, unless it's over the top and he's crying. <laughs> Enter August. <laughs> Seriously, he, we have Will Smith to thank for two of the most fire meme set-offs ever. Him slapping Chris Rock and uh, his wife telling him that she was jamming someone else for a period of time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, the efficient man. Um, 
One of my leisurely downtime things that I get to do is go and buy groceries every five weeks when I have enough money to to splurge on a little milk and bread. And um, I swear, like people watching at the supermarket, seriously, my favorite thing. I think it's because it's a thing of life. Like I, I love people watching. I used to do it a lot back in the day when I'd catch public transport a lot. But um, obviously I don't get to do it that often now because I'm, I'm always working. But my favorite place to people watch has got to be the supermarket. Purely because it's something that everyone has to do. Like we all have to go get groceries no matter what at some point. I mean, we're not all breatharians. Or, you know, living on, uh, what's it called? Um, farms. <laughs> uh, living off the grid, as they say. Nevertheless, um, so yeah, how people react in supermarkets is the best. You know, like you, you, know, you got your kids screaming because they want chocolates and you got, you know, different parents reacting differently to these demands. You know, if it's a wog or an Asian parent, it's massive slapdowns and screaming matches or actually not even screaming matches, just massive like beatings. It's just not even beatings, even just the looks of death and they just fall in line or, you know, the kid that's... uh <laughs> Sandy haired, you know, Toby and his brother, uh, Limerick. <laughs> and they're having a yelling match with their mother. The mother's not saying a word. She's just looking through some new idea catalog and kids are just sitting on the ground screaming and destroying the aisle display that some poor guy has to come and clean up. But the other day I saw a new breed, not a new breed, but a breed that's sort of overlooked, the efficient man. Now I've talked about Men that sort of go into, um, I'm just getting comfortable here. Uh, I've talked about men that go into shop, into supermarkets with their partners, like usually advanced age, and they just look totally defeated and have no idea what they're doing. And they hate themselves because of the fact that they have no idea what they're doing and they're just getting dragged around, <laughs> tossing, um, veggies into a basket or a shopping trolley. The efficient man is one that I've seen all too often. It always makes me laugh. It's a guy, I saw him the other day, and when I say him, it's not one person, I just saw the efficient man prototype. It's a dude, he was wearing like, you know, khaki shorts and like trainers, like New Balance trainers, like sort of urban, urban-esque, modern dad mode, socks sort of pulled up, belt, <laughs> a pair of shorts, and like a polo, and he almost like hip and shouldered me to get to like the baskets. Like we're both heading at the basket sort of at the entrance. And he almost like chunted me just to get to it. And he sort of just rifled through like the top one. Cause I think it had like a plastic bag in it. He's like flicked it aside, grabbed one that suited his needs. You know, it was up to, up to code and he's grabbed it and he's just, it was like he was running, like he was power walking, like through everything. And I think in his mind, it was sort of like, you know, holding on to this masculine trait of just like, I'm the leader and this supermarket is not going to beat me. I have important things to do and I need to do these quick, you know, because that's what real men do. And he sort of zoomed through the freaking entrance point, you know, like, I swear, like, avocados would have just like fallen over <laughs> as he's like, whisk straight through. To and then, um, he sort of, he didn't actually know where he was going because he didn't have a list because, you know, real men don't write things down. We just remember everything in our, <laughs> in our big brawny brains. And um, it's like I caught him out of the corner of my eye because I had veggies to get right at the start. I was making a curry. And so I've hit the front where the veggies are. You know, essentially all the woolies look exactly the same. So the veggies are there right at the entrance. 
and I've sort of stopped and like fished through the display to get whatever I needed and turned away from the, like the cold produce, you know, chilled produce and then looking at the other stuff. And I saw this guy and he was seemingly just going around, like he was just rushing around, but he hadn't put anything in his basket. <laughs> and his face had this look of like confusement, but like, like he was pressing on, you know, like into the unknown, but trying to stay in control. I don't know. I ended up seeing him again, like a little while later, I'd gone around and gone to get some milk or something. And, you know, I was looking for, um, oh, I was looking for Roddy and some spices. And I saw him barging down like the aisle again, like still sort of full of like, like he had a triple grande latte shot right before, you know, he rocked up, but I don't think he had anything in his basket. Because it was hanging low, he wasn't holding it high and effeminate like it was. It was slung low, in control. The effem- the efficient man who literally does doesn't know what he's getting from the supermarket. Anyway, don't know why I had to bring that up. I just it's something that happened yesterday. I really should write this stuff down when I think of it, but I always forget. Yeah, men don't write anything down. Anyway, um, I don't know how this managed to go for thirty seven goddamn minutes. Seriously. <laughs> what a waste of time I can thank Jeff Ross for like a minute and 30 seconds But Yeah Fucking what a babble Oh well Um Yeah Thanks to everyone who's donated to uh, Not even donated Just bought us a coffee I really appreciate it Um Again If you have anyone you feel that we should be bringing on Um Please flick them through Um yeah, it's it sort of sucks because of yeah, just my work schedule. It's kind of hard to pencil it all in. A lot of guests are sort of hard to get a hold of, yeah, different working hours, all that sort of stuff. But I'll do my best to get a few people in. Um, I was thinking with the John and Andy hour, <laughs> um, I was going to call it low-hanging fruit. It's basically, just to separate the brands of you know, people that want to come and listen to us specifically and people that just really want someone with half a brain or life former life experience and they can catch me talking talking about with someone else <laughs> um but yeah i'm definitely i think i'm gonna go ahead with that um because that really is all we do it's just <laughs> as andy said it's just one plus one from this point um again yeah as always like share follow subscribe I've been toying with the idea of getting getting some video on on these things, but I really don't have the time to edit more video, more content, and I don't think I have the money right now to buy to pay for a setup for cameras that are going to be worthwhile. You know, I'm not going to drag out my old you know, Motorola V3X <laughs> and try and set up a stream. Um, but yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, please like, share, follow, subscribe. As I said, you know, anytime you can pass on something that you've listened to. If you don't want to donate, but you, if you're, if you're honestly spending at least two hours a week listening to something that we've said, said or babbled on about, and you've done it for at least two, three weeks successive in succession, then I'm not asking for your money, but do me the solid man and just share it, reshare it, retweet it. Just that one little bit of will help us get a bit more exposure and uh, turn that corner where we can do this a bit more frequently. And hopefully pay for better guests. Not even better guests. I actually love all the guests we have. It's just the low-hanging fruit that I've got to get rid of. <laughs> anyway, um, I really should get back to work. I 
Jesus, I finished work at midnight last night. Yeah, well, smoke crack. <laughs> Hold up. 